Whether packing for a destination vacation or planning a staycation, Macy's has everything you need. Summer's almost here, and I'm so excited to take a trip with Bryn. We are planning it right now. We are heading to Macy's before we pack to grab new shoes we can wear all day with anything. I'm excited to lay in the sun with key pieces from Macy's, like my new Dolce Vita sandals and Levi's skirt. I am ready to relax and look and feel amazing. Oh, how good that sounds. Of course, I can't forget a new beach bag. I have been eyeing the collection of beach bags from Macy's, and I can't wait for you to see what I choose. Shop at Macy's.com slash own your style. Imagine a sharp, stabbing pain on your skin. Sounds like a nightmare, right? While individual experiences may vary, it's how some people describe shingles. This painful, blistering rash could interrupt your life for weeks. It could even force you to cancel social events or weekend plans. Over 99% of adults 50 years or older already carry the virus that causes shingles. One in three people will get it in their lifetime. Why wait? Ask your doctor or pharmacist about shingles today. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. So Puerto Rico is a beautiful place. It's a lush island. It's great for surfing. It's got a culture. Like you feel like you've really gone somewhere far and you don't need a passport, which honestly I do really enjoy. It's a beautiful island. The people are amazing. The food is amazing. The water, the beaches, the vibe. It's a great place. It really is. In Puerto Rico, you'll taste the influence of Spanish, African, and native Taino traditions, sometimes all in the same dish. Puerto Rican chefs and restaurants put their passion into every bite. Puerto Rico is an excellent destination for food, which may not be a well-known fact. Whether it's a five-star restaurant or local favorite spot, no one does food like Puerto Rico. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Veggie chips, veggie sticks, snap pea snacks, all this stuff. It's all bullshit. I love it. I eat it. It's not vegetables. A whole wheat bagel is not like a multi-grain healthy for you bagel. It's mostly white flour that they sprinkle in some whole wheat flour. Unless it's like some sprouted grain, you know it's fucking healthy bagel. It's not that healthy. It's fine. I eat bagels all the time. I love them. But it's just like sort of a joke to tell yourself like a low-fat muffin at Starbucks. You know it still has 400 calories. You know it still feels oily. You know it's got sugar in it. It's low-fat compared to fucking what? Fat fat? Fat or fat? So... Know that whole wheat bagels are still a scam. Know that veggie chips, snap pea chips, anything. Guess what? A potato. It's like a root vegetable. Well, that's a chip. So it's still a potato chip. And all these things that have like 0.0001, you know, this smidgen of vegetables, just you can eat them because they're good. But let's not buy into your own bullshit and think that it's real. A, A chip that's like actually kale and tastes like doing community service That's a real kale chip and you know it because you taste it and you're eating the earth. So that's the difference.
Today is International Women's Day, a global celebration of the social, economic, cultural, and political achievements of women. And there is no better person to celebrate this holiday with than my guest today, Senator Tammy Duckworth. She is a politician, an advocate for veteran rights, a survivor, and a mother. She's a woman who does it all. She is a warrior. From the beginning, Tammy's been a fighter. She took on financial responsibility for her family at a young age, put herself through college, working many minimum wage jobs, and went on to pursue her PhD until halting her studies to fight for her country in the Iraq war. Tammy was a helicopter pilot, and in November of 2004, she was involved in an accident that resulted in the loss of both of her legs and partial use of her right arm. Through this difficult situation, she has not been defeated, and she considers herself lucky. Since the accident and becoming the first Thai American woman elected to Congress, she's been a strong advocate for working class families, mothers, veterans, and many other groups in need of assistance. She's introduced bills that have changed the country for the better. She holds Obama's former seat in Congress. Senator Tammy Duckworth has been faced with many challenges, yet responds to them with a determination to better the world around her. I'm inspired by her bravery and resilience. I cannot wait to discuss her journey. Enjoy. You are absolutely my most fascinating guest to date, and I've had some pretty fascinating people on. I just was reading about you, um, and I'm just incredibly moved by all that you've done. It's impossible to even rattle off the many titles you've had, the, the things you've accomplished. So if I were to just meet you on an airplane now and say, what do you do for a living? What, what would you say? Public servant and mom public servant and mom. Interesting. Um, yeah. Well, so where, where do you live now? So I spent my time between uh, Washington, D.C., which is where I am now because we're in session. You may actually hear the alarms going off because I'm in the Capitol, actually. Uh, uh, in fact, I'm right next to a window that the rioters broke trying to get break into the Capitol. Wow. Um, uh, so I, yeah. So when when the votes get called, you'll see you'll, you'll hear the buzz in the background. So I apologize for that. I can't control it. But I also spend time in the suburbs of Chicago where my home is. So I split my time um, usually here during the week, home on the weekends. Okay. Uh, are you a workaholic? Um, I work a lot, not because I want to, but because I need to. Um, uh, it's, you know, it's just, it's a very strange schedule that I'm on. It's, um, you know, tonight we may have votes until 9 o'clock, 10, 11, 12, or even 2 a.m. But then I have all day Friday off. So, because uh, we'll be done with votes by then. Fingers crossed. <laughs> I call it a stacker. A stacker, like fewer buckets full, I'd say. Yeah. I'd rather have three buckets full than six half full. So you, yes. it seems like you stack what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so you are have done so much work and almost dedicated most of, its, most of your career uh, supporting veterans. And how... Can you explain that to, to the listeners? And it's such an important thing. And so many of us think about it and then it sort of dissolves in our minds and we realize how important it is to support veterans, but you have made a life mission of this issue. Yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm trying to repay a debt that I can never pay. I, I was a soldier for 23 years and halfway through that tenure, I was wounded in Iraq. Um, and I'm alive today because my buddies carried me out. Uh, of a dusty field in Iraq and got me to help. And every day that I've woken up since that day, I've swore that I'm gonna live up to their sacrifice. 
And I fell into a circumstance where I happened to be a patient at Walter Reed when Barack Obama became uh, a senator, brand new senator from Illinois. And I started bothering him and Senator Durbin on veterans issues because I happened to be the highest ranking amputee at Walter Reed for a while. And so we were having issues with how we were being treated. And I just started calling my senators and complaining. And that I, that's how I became a veterans advocate was, I was just looking out for fellow soldiers the way other soldiers looked out for me when I couldn't take care of myself. Um, and every day since that day in that field in Iraq, I've been trying to pay back this debt. And so every day I try to do something and, and we can all do something. You don't have to go out there and, and build a homeless shelter or, or hire a hundred veterans, but we can all do something to help our vets and our military families because they serve too. You were just making phone calls. And it's funny because when I got into relief work, it was just, I was a nobody and just making phone calls. People often want to know how to help and they don't realize that they're, people are fairly accessible. You can get somebody in the lower ranks on the phone and work your way up if you are organized and have a clear, compelling message and you know something to really say. Yeah, exactly. I just started calling Dick Durbin. Dick Durbin, uh, who was the senior senator from Illinois and still is, uh, happened to come through Walter Reed to visit the troops. And I cornered him and I said, I got a guy who hasn't been paid in six months. He's unconscious and his wife's got a six month old baby and she can't buy diapers. We need help. Um, and so he made the mistake of writing a phone number down on the back of a business card that I instantly abused the heck out of that business, that phone number. <laughs> yeah. And, and he, so you had a squeaky wheel. Yeah. And then that's how I became an, an advocate. Um, and which then after about 10 months of this, uh, uh, the two senators, Durbin and Obama, called me and said, you need to run for Congress if you think we're not doing right by our veterans. And holy cow, that's how I got into politics. I was just a soldier who was trying to watch out for those who were lower ranking than myself. Um, the way when I couldn't take care of myself, my buddies took care of me. I mean, what you've been through is extraordinary and I want to get into it, but you were saying I was just a soldier. So in your mind, you were just a soldier and the word Congress probably sounded like some big bad word and they made it seem more accessible to you. And that you're sort of saying that, that these types of things where you can make a difference are more accessible than most people think. Like the word Senate, the word Congress, it all sounds like a very big intimidating word. Yeah. So what was that bridge like? How, how did you approach that and feel like you could do it? Well, I mean, I have imposter syndrome every day. I have imposter syndrome now. I got to serve next to a Cory Booker, you know, and, and, and Kamala and I were freshmen, Kamala Harris and I were freshmen into the Senate together. So I have imposter syndrome every day, but I got to tell really? you what I do, but I got to tell you that the women in this house and in the Senate generally got here on a different path than the men did. And most of us were something else and got mad about something ah! and started advocating for that. And we became... <sighs> We became congresswomen or senators because of it. I think kind of the same with you, right? You, you were on this one path, which was show business, but you found something that you could leverage, you know, your your position to help people. And right. you got mad. No, right? you got mad or annoyed that there was this need that wasn't being met and you chose to do something about it. And I think that's where a lot of the women in the House and in the Senate are. I was a soldier trying to help other soldiers. Uh, uh, Jan Chikowski from Illinois was a mom who was pissed off that she couldn't tell when the food in the 70s, she couldn't tell when the food with the food she was giving her kids was going to expire. So she started campaigning for sell-by dates on food. That's interesting. That's interesting. And then that's how she became a, a politician. You know, and a lot of teachers, a lot of former teachers are, are, are members of Congress now. So it's usually 
the women in particular, we, you know, the men tend to have been like, they were an intern for a congressman or their uncle was a senator and they get here that uh -huh. way. Um, but most of the women, if you talk to them and you research us, you'll find that we were something else and we got mad about a particular issue and started advocating. And then I think that's a good book. I think that's a good book for you. I'm mad. At, I'm mad as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore. Stories of women who turned, you know, a gripe into a political career. I think that's a good book. Yeah, I think they, you know, their political career was kind of an accidental thing that happened along the way of trying to solve the problem. That's amazing. I love that. Yeah, because people keep telling me to get into politics because of doing relief work, and I'm like, that has nothing to do with me. Politics, you know. But that's a good question because for me, um, I feel like getting into politics would slow me down because I go really rogue. I have the party and ask for forgiveness later and I don't want to have to ask for permission. So that's the thing I find to be bogged down about politics. Tell me what you think about that. Well, I think there has to be a coalition of different people with different abilities. Um, and, and, you know, I work with folks who are both uh, outside government and those are in government, right? I chose to run right. because I realized that I could not fix the VA the way I wanted to fix it. Um, and, and I had to change going it from rogue. within. It's, yeah. Right? Uh -huh. so, so going rogue was yeah. going to make a difference. I, I, when I showed up at VA as, as, as a patient, right at, right, you know, the Army had put me on as form of, on the patch birth control uh, because it was convenient for the Army to have me on the patch when I was serving in Iraq. And if I had an upcoming mission, I could, you know, put on patch after patch and, and, and skip my period so that I could fly my missions as a helicopter pilot. Um, but then when I went to the VA and I tried to get my birth control prescription, prescription, they're like, oh, sorry, we don't have the patch. I said, the government put me on this form of birth control and now you're not providing it to me. And by the way, they had Viagra, you know? Wow. And so, so, you, I, yeah. so I tried, I, yeah, so I, I realized that to change the VA's formulary and prescriptions and what drugs were available, I had to do from within. So I, that's when I went to serve within the VA um, before I actually ran for office. And, and so... But there are folks who are, who are changing things. And I think it's that partnership between those who are on the inside of the organizations, those who are in the legislative branch, like me, Love trying it. to change the laws. Yeah. And then those like you who leverage, you know, we all bring different things to the table and we need to leverage our strengths to make the change that, totally. that needs to happen. Totally. It's totally true because we have to deal with politicians. Like when we were dealing with the Bahamas uh, horrible hurricane, we couldn't just fly planes into the Bahamas and start helping. We had to play the game and deal with the company that was dealt as like the sort of crisis manager. We had to play the game with them and they didn't want us to fly planes in right away and because they thought that we'd be posting and promoting what was going on there and they have a big tourism business and we were like, tough shit, we're going in one way or the other so you're gonna have to play with us, you know, that kind of stuff. Right. It's interesting. So, so what made you get into the military to begin with? So you're a woman, and where were you living? Um, I was living in Illinois. Well, I was actually in D.C. Okay. when I decided to join ROTC. Um, I grew up knowing that I needed to serve. Uh, my my okay. father's family has been in military service going to before the revolution. So I'm a daughter of the American Revolution. I don't look like it, but I am. Okay. My mother is from Thailand. My mother is an immigrant on my dad's side. We go back pre-revolution. Um, uh, um, and I always knew I was going to serve, but I wanted to serve in the foreign service. I wanted to be that visa officer, stepping visas in American embassies overseas. Um, and I, I was getting my master's degree in international affairs and got laid off from my job. Um, I had the summer off and the guys in my class who all happened to be military said, Hey, if you want to learn about international affairs and you want to become a diplomat and ambassador someday, you should 
take some ROTC classes and just learn what the military is because that oftentimes is the first face of America that the world sees. And, and, and that's not necessarily, you know, all of the power of this country. We have many, you know, our culture, all these other things are just as powerful as how many tanks and guns and helicopters we have. So I went off to our to uh, basic training and fell in love with the army. Even as I locked myself in the latrine and cried every other day while drill sergeants were yelling at me, I fell in love with the meritocracy of it um, and decided that that's what I wanted to do on the reserve side. So then I continued to study. I was working on my PhD and I was a helicopter pilot on the weekends and two weeks a year. Um, and and uh, then Iraq happened and then I was activated. Were you scared before, I mean, were you scared in your career? Were you scared while there? Or, or did you not even know to be as scared as you should be based on what happened to you? Meaning leading up to the event yeah. and just in your everyday life, were you scared? I wasn't scared because I was well-trained. I had been trained by the greatest military the world has ever known. And I trusted my equipment, I trusted my training, I trusted in my fellow soldiers. Um, I knew what the risks were uh, and, and, and you mitigate the risk the best that you can and you go and you do your job. There was no way that I was going to not go because even though I didn't support the war in Iraq, I supported our constitution. And I believe that the military must be subservient to the civilian. And by that, I mean, when, the, when, when George Bush, who was the person that America elected to be president said, we're gonna go to war in Iraq and Congress voted for the war in Iraq as a soldier, because I believed in the constitution, I was proud to go. I'm still proud of my service to this day, even though I didn't agree with why we were there. So I, I was, I, I had utter confidence in my training. When at this point I was, you know, 12 years after, uh, I'd been serving for 12 years already. So I, I was further along in my career. Um, I was never scared serving in the military. I, I, I always knew that I was well-trained and well-equipped to do the job. Um, and that's one of the things the military instills in you. And I think as a young woman, it made me braver to try new things. You know, when I was younger, I probably would not have tried things. I would want to try to practice until I was good at something before I admitted that I could do something. But in the military, you know, they, 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 they teach you to trust in yourself. And I think that confidence, those leadership skills really helped me later on when I decided to run for office, even though I wasn't sure, you know, even though I have imposter syndrome every day, I also trusted my own ability to do the work. And the army taught me to do the work. Wow. And I always knew that if I do the work, I can bring something to the table. Even if I'm, you know, intimidated by the folks around me, I can control the work that I do and the prep that I do. This is the craziest thing that I'll probably ever say on this podcast because I'm talking about Shaggy, the musical artist, in the same sentence as you. But he, he was in the military. He was a Marine. And he said he wasn't a good Marine and he didn't, it wasn't for him, but it trained him for his musical career to get up in the morning and to be meticulous and to be organized and to do a gig in the morning and at night. So it's interesting the different paths that the military trains people for. And in your case, it's supporting veterans and, and a life of politics. And in his, it's being a musician. Um, but I want to talk about, um, so the moments leading up to your accident Shoot and down. They were, it was not an accident. Shoot down. They were aiming for me. Shoot down. <laughs> you're sh right. You're right. When <laughs> the bastards were aiming for me. <laughs> okay. So leading up to your uh, shoot down, uh, 
were, did you realize something bad was about to go down? Did you, like, did your life flash before you? Did you, were you just, do you not remember anything? Like, what was that like? I remember a lot. Um, so we, this was during the, this time period was the second battle for Fallujah. So it was pretty hot uh, uh, anyway. And um, it was the end of the day. We'd had a great day. I mean, we've done all sorts of great missions and, done, and we were headed back to home base. And um, I heard tap, tap, tap on the fuselage of the aircraft right outside my right door, which was small arms fire. It was um, AK-47 bullets hitting the side of my aircraft. And I swore and said to the other pilot, I'm like, oh, F, we've been hit. Um, uh, and I went immediately into the mode of my training, which was hit the GPS to store the location of the target to report to higher headquarters where we'd received, um, uh, you know, where we'd been fired upon. And right then, boom, the fireball happened in my lap, which was the RPG exploding essentially uh, beneath, right underneath, right underneath me, uh, just between my legs. Um, that vaporized my right leg um, it kicked my left leg into the instrument panel of the of the helicopter, which then sheared off that leg. It blew off the back of my right arm. But I don't remember that portion. What I remember is trying to land the aircraft because the aircraft got filled with dark smoke. We were flying 120 knots, which is like 150 miles an hour, 10 feet above the trees. So I was about, you know, one of the things they taught you in flight school is you got to keep flying. Just because something bad happens and you're the pilot, the passengers are not very happy when the pilots stop flying and you're not on the ground. So you got to do right. your job. <laughs> but you were capable of still flying a plane. You were capable of still flying a helicopter while that had just happened to you. Well, I didn't know that I didn't have any limbs left except for my left arm. I didn't know that my limbs were severed. I mean, how many times do you sit, look down to check that your feet are, are there? You feel them, and I could feel my feet. I was frustrated the aircraft wasn't responding. The other pilot was doing the flying, but I couldn't tell because we were filled with black smoke. It, it, it took out all of our avionics so we couldn't talk to each other. I thought I was the only one that was okay. So I was doing everything I could to land the aircraft, um, passing in and out of consciousness. And then when we finally got the bird on the ground, when, when Dan got the bird on the ground, oh my God. I noticed we hadn't done an emergency engine shutdown. I tried to shut down the engine and that's when I passed out. How long, how long was that process from when you were hit to landing the aircraft? Minutes, minutes. Wow. Um, maybe five minutes at most. Um, and then... I don't remember anything until I wake up at Walter Reed 11 days later. I've now met lots of folks and I write about this actually. I, I wrote a book recently, you mentioned a book. I wrote about this because I went back and talked to the people. I actually woke up in the emergency room. I, I, they, they brought me in and I was up barking out orders because I was also the highest ranking person on my aircraft that day, checking up on the condition of my crew, wanting to make a report to higher headquarters. And they looked at me and like, you have no blood left in your body. What are you doing talking? And they essentially, sedated my entire crew just to shut us up because we were all going, who's taking care of Sergeant so-and-so? Who's taking care of Tammy? And then all the doctors and nurses are like, you guys were a hand, a hand. We just had to shut you up and sedate all of y'all. Oh my. Um, but I don't remember that part. Oh my God. <laughs> so, so you wake up uh, almost two weeks later and what does your life become? How are you, are you sad? Are you angry? Are you bitter? Are you, you know, confused? Are you re replaying things, wishing you did things differently? Are you blaming anyone? Are you mad at the war and George Bush? I mean, what's going on? So before I woke up, there was a period of about 36 hours when they were weaning me off of the, the medication to try to wake me up because I was in a medical coma. Um, and I was more awake than the people around me realized. Okay. Um, so you, uh, um, so I could hear the doctors and nurses talking. Okay. And um, 
the doctor and nurses talked about a helicopter uh, uh, crash or a helicopter accident. Um, and I remember the last thing I remember was doing everything I could to land that aircraft. And I remember that we landed the aircraft and people were safe and I did my job. But what I was hearing was it crashed. And I, that was the lowest that I ever was when I thought I deserved to lose my legs because I crashed the bird and I let down my crew and I let down my men because I didn't do my job as a pilot and I failed as a leader and I failed as a pilot and I failed as a soldier. I felt that I deserved to lose my legs. Um, it was, and I didn't tell my husband and I was in this dark place in, you know, in my mind. And, and he caught me crying one day. Um, this was very, this was within the first few days after I was awake and they told me I'd lost my legs and I'd heard about the crash and everything. Um, when he said, what's going on? I, and I told him this, I deserve to lose my legs. I injured my men. I didn't do my job as oh a pilot. I, I let my crew down. And he said, what are you talking about? You guys landed their bird. I said, what? He goes, no, you landed the bird. And then there was one picture of my aircraft that they took from the air before they blew it up in place. And he showed it to me. And I've been fine ever since. Because I did my job until my last breath. Oh my! And if I died that day in Iraq, I would have been okay because I did my job and I didn't let down my crew. And so every day since then has been gratitude that I'm alive and I got to do something with this life. And so I became a veteran's advocate. It's been it's been glass half full. It's been glass half full since that day. You really okay. haven't been, you know, the movies, the four born on the Fourth of July, and he's miserable for a long time, and then you just you just right away. You just have, this is your purpose, this is your path. Is it faith? Is it family? Is it your husband's support? Is it the military? Like, what is this? Fidel, it's, it's, it's being true to my vows as a soldier, to the soldier's creed. I, I, I will never give up. I will never admit defeat. I will never leave a fallen comrade behind. Um, and even though I'm not a soldier anymore, I still feel that same way. And it's funny because I it has given me this whole other life where I'm a mom. I, I had, you know, if I had... I have, a, I have kids now because my, because my buddy saved me. I now have children. Um, I have a, a four-year-old, almost four-year-old and a seven-year-old. I gave birth to my second daughter two weeks after I turned 50, <laughs> you know, and I'm a mom and I passed legislation to help moms who are traveling mm, breastfeeding. Wow. I, I'm, I'm doing uh, legislation to help end diaper need. And there's this whole other world that opened up to me um, because I used the platform of having been wounded to run for office. And now I have this office that I occupy, which was Barack Obama's old Senate seat. I, that's the seat that I hold. And I get to make a difference in the lives of people all across, not just the country, but the world. And, and that's a gift. So my, my glass isn't just half empty or half full, it's overflowing. It's unbelievable. It's overflowing and I'm, gratitude, uh, and I'm grateful every single day. I'm frustrated many days. <laughs> I'm tired a lot of days, but I'm always, always every morning I wake up, I say, Thank you to the men who saved my life, my buddies. Um, and then I think, okay, what do I do today? And how, so it hasn't held you back at all. How, cause you're, you just had your husband, you didn't have your children then. How has, how did it affect your family, your whole family unit? It's just, were your parents still alive? My parents, um, uh, my father passed. In fact, my father came to visit me um, so I was wounded on November 12th. My dad came to visit um, for Christmas. My parents were living in Hawaii um, and they came to visit. They got there the day before, my dad got there the day before Christmas, had a heart attack the day after Christmas and was checked into Walter Reed. He was also, he's also a veteran. So I was in the amputee ward. He was in the cardiac ward and he passed away um, while I was still inpatient at Walter Reed. Um, you know, it affected my family 
in many ways more than it affected me um, because mm -hmm. I I was at peace with what happened. Um, my mom had a hard time getting to a place where you know she she wanted to feel bad for me, and I just my mom's Buddhist, um, uh, so she 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 believes in karma, and she I remember her saying what bad thing you've never done anything bad in your lifetime you, what have you done so bad that you deserve this this shouldn't have happened to you and i just, when i looked at her i said maybe i'm alive because i didn't do anything bad maybe this is my gift right that i get to live not that i you know it's not a punishment because i lost my legs maybe it's a gift that i get to live um right and and so you know and now i have two wonderful you know daughters and and i have this life and i'm just trying every day to pay back Do you ever feel frustrated about things that you can't do? Um, and how do you explain that to your kids? What do your kids know? Um, and then would you want them to have to live a military life? Well, let me start with the last one. I'd be very proud if they joined the military. I would be incredibly proud and I would support them uh, every step of the way. Whether they do or not, it would be their decision and I wouldn't you know, pressure them to, to do it. Um, uh, yeah, it affects my life every single day. It's, it's hard every single day. I, I, I mostly uh, am, am a wheelchair user um, because my, my, I lost my right leg up so high, it's at, off at the hip and I just can't wear a prosthetic on that side that's very comfortable. So all of the, all of the frustrations that you would have from the barriers from, you know, from, from being reliant on a wheelchair are occupying my life. I, you know, live with pain every day, um, but that doesn't, you know, that is, it is what it is. You, you, in, in my book, I, I one of the chapters, I, I, I titled it um, Owning the Suck. It's something I learned in the Army. You know, being in Iraq sucked. Being outside in 120 degrees heat sucked. Having to wear body armor sucked. Having bad mm -hmm. guys shoot at you sucked. But it's your suck. No one else, right? Mm -hmm. So you own it. Own that suck. And, and, and dominate that suck. Well, you're owning that suck, but you're also using that suck to makes so many other people's lives unsuck. That's really the thing. You're one person gone through something not in vain. Right. And I mean, that's what's really interesting about it. I, I'm, I'm curious what made you do this show? Well, I've been a fan of yours for a long time. So I've been watching The Real Housewives from season one, especially in New York. So I've been okay. a big fan, but I, I've, I've always been impressed by, you always seem to be like the one who had her head together and was clear about where you were going. And then the stuff that you did in the Bahamas. I, I remember when, when the Bahamas happening, you know, um, Jose Andres went in with the food and, and, and different folks and, 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 and then like out of the blue, like Bethany Frankel is sending aircraft full of supplies to the Bahamas. I remember thinking, what? But then I thought, <laughs> well, that makes sense, right? You, she, you did this whole thing besides just being on a reality show with creating your businesses and being a successful business woman and, and having your head on straight. And so it just, you know, and then I also wanted to, um, you know, be do this podcast with you because I wanted to reach out to the people who listen, who are, I think in many cases like me, a lot of women um, um, and talk about some of the issues that mean a lot to me, like, you know, supporting moms who work outside the home and, and issues like ending diaper need and making sure that uh, we support moms who want to breastfeed and want to continue to work and ride, get on airplanes, but can't pump breast milk wherever they need to. And, and all of those things that are important to everyday working families across the country. So it's your, it's you and it's your audience and, and it's the message of we anybody, can, you know, we can do this. You just you just got to 
find, you know, your platform and, and be as obnoxious as you need to be. To... Find your way, find your way in. They're yeah. going to yeah. love it. So, so the final question I have um, for you is because I always ask everybody what percentage they're lucky and smart. I don't know why. I just don't like that question for you. Um, well, that's funny. Do, yeah. Do you, you can answer it if you have a clear answer, but I, I, I've always been known as a worker. I've always been known as a worker. Like I, I was, I, I always did good in school, but not quite good enough with the straight A's. You know, I was always like two B's or three B's and or you had to fight for everything you've gotten. In yeah. Your life. I've had to fight for everything I've had in my life, but I get it. But, but you know, I've gotten a lot of blessings in my life that came that came my way that I didn't I never mm -hmm. asked for and and came my way and I got help when I needed it when when my family was almost homeless and and and, and starving you know it was a high school teacher who fed me dinner two three nights a week from his public school teacher's salary because he knew I was hungry um, I didn't ask him right. for it he just did it so so it's about giving back even to the people um, that you don't realize did something for you. I mean, I, I feel like we have, we all have an obligation, especially when you're living in a country like the United States, where we are so much wealthier and so much better off than people. You know, you saw what you saw what the Bahamas was like. You know, there's just two different worlds there. There's the there's the resort vacation world, and then there's everybody else. Um, yeah. And the suffering is real. Yeah, exactly. And if we're going to enjoy the resort, which we should, we should have some empathy. And 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 some heart for the rest of you know the other world that supports that resort world. Oh the, yeah, this was Puerto Rico. This is everywhere I've been. Yeah, one hundred percent. So the last question is uh, your. Uh, this is going to be interesting. The rose and thorn of your career, and they could be the same thing. Well, I think that the stuff I've been doing for 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 working women, um, it's been really unusual because I'm known as a veterans person. But I'm really proud of my breastfeeding legislation. Um, I'm really proud of my the bill that I wrote this year to get rid of lead out of our drinking water supply. I'm really proud of the work I'm currently doing um, on diaper needs. Um, so the rose is, is, is this new part of my work that has to do with supporting parents who are working outside of the home so that they can take care of their children. Um, the thorn of my existence is the unfinished business with trying to make sure that we give our veterans everything that they need because they still are suffering and they don't have everything that they need. And no matter you know how hard I try and how much work I put into it, there's always more. We still have homeless veterans. We have Vietnam veterans who still haven't been cared for. We have Gulf War syndrome that people are still suffering from. And, and that's the thorn. that we. It's unfinished work. Well, I have to say that that for you to not say that your uh, shoot down was not your thorn is it says so much about you. Um, I want to introduce you to my fiance at some point. He's done a lot of, he's worked politically adjacent, but he's worked with a lot of different politicians. And he was talking recently about the military during the Super Bowl, just thinking about the military when they cut to, and he said, I want to do more with veterans, etc. So I should connect you two because I think it would bring more meaning to his life. And I think you would gel and he's I ask him often if I should have certain people on if he thinks it's a good fit and he was reading off some of the you know things that you've done and who you are and that you're a badass effectively and I was like wow and so uh I think it'd be a good connection for me to connect you to him oh thank you yeah I don't think of myself as a badass I just you know once you've been blown up what else can they do to you <laughs> <laughs> well, well that's to me that's 
make you know. it happen there. So what the hell? I'll, I'll try it. You know? Well, you're you're a boss. You're a boss at the very least. So it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. This is unbelievable. Women are going people people but women are definitely going to appreciate it so i appreciate the time and i wish you the best of everything honestly and love to your family thank you same to you that was the single most inspiring conversation i've ever had in my entire life i, I mean that's just there's not much else to say uh what an incredible human being uh, literally when we say, well, because you know, th that, that person's a soldier. This woman is a soldier. This woman is a warrior, fearless survivor. I cannot even believe that conversation. It was extraordinary and I'm so lucky and grateful and hashtag blessed in the most authentic sense of that word. That was amazing. Just Be is hosted by me, Bethany Frankel. Just Be is a production of Be Real Productions, iHeartRadio, and Blue Duck Media. Our EPs are Morgan Lavoie, Antonio Enriquez, and Kara Hitt. To catch more moments from the show, follow us on Instagram at Just Be with Bethany.